Welcome to the MedTech Talent Lab, the number one catalyst for advancing careers and building high-performance teams. Sponsored by the Anthony Michael Group, helping companies secure in-demand talent in regulatory affairs, quality, clinical, engineering, R&D, and other areas for medical device, digital health, diagnostics, and other organizations across the U.S. life sciences sector. Here's your host, Mitch Robbins. All right, welcome back to another episode here on the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Robbins, and I am the founder and managing director here at an organization called the Anthony Michael Group, where we help companies across the life sciences, primarily within uh, the medical device, digital health, and diagnostic space to build best-in-class technical teams, areas primarily like regulatory affairs, quality, engineering, et cetera. And on a regular basis, I am proud to bring to you best-in-class leaders straight from the industry to discuss all things related to talent, whether that is uh, building your own uh, career and enhancing your career or certainly building high-performing teams. And today, uh, joining me is a gentleman who I am very excited to have on the show uh, it's going to be a topic that we really have not covered in any way, uh, shape, or form yet. And so I'm glad to have this discussion with Mr. Michael Katz. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about his background, starting off with his formal education. So Michael got his Bachelor's of Science degree in human biology from Boise State University and then went on to pursue his Master's degree in regulatory science from John Hopkins University. Uh, his career in the industry is off to an impressive start. He joined the medtech space in 2016 as a, a regulatory affairs analyst working for Applied Medical. And then back in 2018, he had the unique opportunity to make his way into the exploding software as a medical device sector, uh, and today serves as the director of quality for a company called Viz.ai. For those unfamiliar with Viz.ai, the company was inspired by a patient who underwent a successful brain surgery, but yet unfortunately died because the surgery came too late. And so Dr. Chris Mancy at Stanford Business School joined forces with machine learning postdoc, Dr. David Golan, and together they founded Viz AI with the goal of using artificial intelligence to make healthcare work faster and work smarter, not just to change, but really to radically transform it. And so in essence, the company uses AI to synchronize stroke care, reducing systemic delays that stand between patients and life-saving treatments. Really cool stuff. And without further ado, Michael, welcome to the show, man. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Mitch, for having me. Yeah, you know, I'm really excited you're here, and I was genuine, genuinely serious about the fact that we really haven't covered um, in any way, shape, or form the topic that you and I are about to embark on today, and that is this idea of you got to have experience to get, ex or you got to have experience to get experience, right? In software yeah, yeah. as a medical device. And I've gotten to know you uh, more and more recently as our relationships continue to develop. And I'm just so impressed with what you've accomplished in such a short amount of time within your career. I mentioned you came into the industry in 2016. Here we are five years later. You're a director of quality at a, um, a robust artificial intelligence software as a medical device organization. And so I, wanna, I want the audience to learn more about your story as far as how you got into this, what you're doing today, and all that stuff. But I really want the audience to be able to take away from this conversation a couple things. One, you didn't have any prior experience before getting into SAMD, okay? Correct. And so I want companies to recognize, look at what this guy is doing on behalf of his company and the value that he's adding. But then I, as far, and the, the chance that viz.ai took on you, 
But then I want candidates to listen to this too and recognize, you know what? Maybe I do have a value proposition as a candidate that I could present to organizations in a way I didn't necessarily think was possible to kind of combat this catch-22 syndrome, so to speak, as far as got to have experience to get experience. Right. Um, so let's dig in, man. How, you know, I Sounds mentioned good. you got into the industry as a regulatory affairs analyst working for a, a pretty big company, Applied Medical, back in 2016. Uh, tell us about making that transition. How did you end up taking a liking to MedTech? And not only that, but how'd you end up in regulatory affairs? Yeah, great question. So um, I started my career at Applied Medical. Um, I had just graduated from Boise State University with, as you mentioned, my degree in human biology. I had a great mentor along the way. His name was Todd Abraham. Uh, he's an executive. He's been an executive across his entire career. Johnson Johnson, Edwards, Endologics. And he actually invited me into his facility and walked me around, you know, what it is, you know, what does the sterilization look like? What does the manufacturing plant look like, ETC? And uh, it really opened my eyes into regulatory and, and reg, you know, quality affairs. And one of the things that Todd was really gracious in doing is saying, you know, Michael, you can make whatever you want out of your career. Um, what it is that, what, what is it that's passionate, you're passionate about, um, you know, in life? And I said, you know, I, I'm really good with people, uh, communications. I really like finishing projects, collaboration, ETC. Um, I'm a sports guy, hence the hockey stick behind me. So um, teamwork is definitely something that I pride myself on. And uh, Todd basically said, you know, I could see you fitting in a couple areas and regulatory just happened to be one. So I looked into regulatory affairs, what it was. They obviously don't teach you that in undergrad, um, especially as a human biology major. Um, you know, usually it's something that you might, you might hear about in engineering, you know, FDA and building products, whatnot. So it really started because of him. And thank you, Todd, if you're listening. Um, really appreciate all that you give you have given to me, and and I could, wouldn't be here without him. That's awesome. Out of curiosity, when you were in in undergrad, did you have any thoughts about maybe getting into the medical technology space, or was this truly because of the relationship with Todd? Yeah. So um, originally, I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a radiologist, and uh, you know, I, I was pre med during school. Uh, went and you know attempted to pass the MCAT with flying colors. It did average. It did okay, but it basically weeded me out. And um, I thought, okay, what else can I do to have an impact on patients and still fulfill my, you know, objective of helping other people? Um, you know, Viz came around and just the timing was great. Um, you know, my family has suffered from strokes, uh, both sides of the family. So it was a great opportunity for me to actually fulfill that goal. And Todd was really the, the main reason in saying, of me saying, okay, why not go after that regulatory affairs position? especially when it was my understanding that a lot of people in regulatory affairs tend to want to just, um, you know, focus on the administrative work, on the documentation, on submissions, and not so much on the people aspect. And I thought I could combine both aspects um, and something that I could offer to Applied when I uh, got to Applied Medical um, once I joined the company there. That's awesome. And so, you know, you got your start as an analyst. Um, I, I Here's the the thing that people are really going to be interested in because it it's so fascinating to me. You know, there's so many right now that that are enamored by software as a medical device and just the exploding um, sector it's becoming and what it's going to be in the next several years, right? Yeah. Especially as technology continues to improve and the integration between you know what's been known as a standard traditional medical device and how software can impact that, right? And yeah. what does that mean for patient care? Yeah. But there's this, so many are frustrated by the catch-22 that organizations 
are making it known that they want Sandy experience to have a Sandy position. Right. Right. And there's a lot of examples in life about you got, you know, people feeling that they got to have experience to get experience. Yeah. But talk about the story about how you end up making this transition from applied and how you ended up at getting this opportunity at Viz. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I had just graduated from Johns Hopkins master's program and uh, I became close to my program director, Dr. Tom Colonna. And he was actually consulting with Viz and he said, hey, you know, Viz is looking for that regulatory specialist role. Are you interested? And at the time I was like, eh, no, I'm not that interested. And then I started looking at software and software as a medical device. And I thought, wow, this is the future. This is where the medical device industry is going and trending towards. So I took it really seriously. I got back to Tom and I said, Tom, yeah, I will apply with Viz. And, um, you know, the catch 22, right? I didn't have software experience, but I had a little bit of software experience working with Applied um, in that they had a generator and a ligation device, an energy device uh, that had, you know, basically similar characteristics to that of a hardware software medical device um, that you would see anywhere else. Um, Viz was unique because it's exclusively a software as a medical device. You know, you use a phone and you have the medical device basically in your phone. I mean, it's, it's an app. People can download it from the App Store, from Google Play. Um, so it was completely different, and that excited me. Um, going into Viz, uh, the interviews, um, you know, I had seven interviews. And that's not typical for, for most people, I feel, um, especially as a hiring manager today. Um, I met with the director of regulatory. I met with the engineering team. I met with the implementation team. Uh, the last interview was with the CEO and the medical director at the time. And, you know, they asked the same question, you know, you don't have experience in software, but it makes you think that you can succeed in, in a software as a medical device company. And I gave him an honest answer. I said, uh, you know, uh, I may not have experience in software as a medical device, but I can tell you that I am a quick learner. I can absorb all the material very, very easily. Um, I've been, I've been studying, you know, IEC 6304, how that might interact with ISA 1345. I've been reading up on all the FDA guidance when it comes to software, because as at the time, you know, Viz was novel. It was a de novo. Viz LVO was a de novo product, um, large vessel occlusion, uh, clinical decision support tool. And nobody really knew that this, where this was coming from. It actually created a new product code with the FDA and, um, it was exciting because, you know, regulation was just starting to mold around what these should look like and how, you know, the regulators wanted to regulate these products. So you said a couple of things there. Um, yeah. And I want to kind of back up for a second. What do you, how do you, did you ever find out why you got in the door to be able to interview in the first place? At Viz? Yeah. So can you restate your question? Sure. So you found out about this specialist position, right? And you, I don't know how you ended up applying. Did you apply through their application process? Did somebody? Yes. You, you did. So yes, you yes. you sent in a regular application and, and you received a call. I sent in a regular application, received a call, had two or three um, uh, just phone interviews, thirty minute phone interviews. Yep. The fourth the fourth interview, actually, the hiring manager flew down to Orange County. I was living in Orange County at the time. And met met me for coffee, and we talked for two hours, three hours, and um, after that, there was you know I think two two more interviews, three more interviews, um, and the last interview actually required the CEO, the medical director, and the um, person who was leading the installation uh, team uh, to meet me for for dinner, and essentially it was a dinner uh, kind of get to know me. 
um, interview uh, that lasted about three hours. And after that, I got the job. It's a pretty significant process for, for the regulatory specialist role, like you were saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. It shows, you know, the input and um, the commitment that they have to try and hire, you know, hire right, in my opinion. Um, Absolutely. But talk, if you would, just real quickly about the preparation that went into um, uh, the interview process on your end. What did you do ahead of time to prepare for the interview, knowing that you really didn't have any software experience? Well, I, I did what every other person, candidate that's interviewing for position should do, right? Um, I went on their website. I looked at their products. I, I kind of tried to understand what it was. Are they class one, class two, class three medical device? Um, there were software as a medical device at the time. Um, I really just tried to look at the regulations as it, you know, as it is, um, you know, within the device space, you have quality system regulations from the FDA, you have ISO 1345, but then you have all these standards and guidances on software. So I started picking apart those. Um, not sure how deep they wanted me to at least talk to those standards and guidances, knowing that I didn't have background in software. Um, just showing that effort I thought was important. So that's what I did to prepare. That's great. And I guarantee you that they probably asked for specific examples of your experience from mm -hmm. your time at Applied, right? And you had to Absolutely. articulate specific examples. Absolutely. So, so I want to um, make a point here. So often, and you and I were talking about this offline, so often candidates go wrong in, in one of two ways. One, they talk in circles and they use so much language that they lose their audience and, and the uh, interviewing team doesn't necessarily understand what they're trying to say. Or two, when they're asked for examples of their experience, they're just too vague. And yeah. they don't give enough confidence that they actually have the experience that the interview panel is hoping that they have because they can't articulate it. And mm -hmm. so you went, you went a step further here. Not only did you have to prepare and have specific examples ready to go about your relevant experience, but then you had to be in a position to try and figure out, okay, how does this translate to why it's of value to this organization that I have not played in this space before with, right? Yeah, yeah. And so what have I done at Applied that I can demonstrate is relevant to how I can learn in a Sandy environment. Right. And so I think that is really important to point out because I guarantee that's a piece of why they hired you is not only uh, your ability to articulate your experience, but then your confidence that, look, I know what I don't know, but here's what I'm prepared to do to figure out what I don't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and absolutely. The, and if, if I may add to Mitch, please. They, they, actually, they actually gave me an exam um, that I had to take. And this is kind of like using that applied medical information and knowledge that I gained while working there, going to Viz, is they asked me to classify medical devices based on if they're software or not, or are they something else? And so that was one part of the exam. And the other part of the exam was certain questions about the quality system and some of the submission process that's associated with something, something you would see with software as a medical device. So that was something that was in addition to, you know, preparing to kind of nail the interview or nail the interviews um, that, that I didn't expect, but it was great on them to do their due diligence to make me do that. Absolutely. And I don't know if you've seen the show before, but there was a show that is no longer, but it was called Suits. Have you seen Suits mm -hmm. or heard of it? No. Okay. Mm -hmm. so it's based on this premise of, you know, high powered New York attorneys, but they hire somebody who's never been an attorney who never even went to law school, but is <laughs> such a genius and has basically memorized all, all the laws. And so uh -huh. he sits down for the interviews, like, here's the book, ask me anything. 
and he had it, you know, he was a genius and he had this memory that was unbelievable. Yeah. The yeah. point is though, that I'm trying to make is that there's a lot of due diligence you can do without mm-hmm. necessarily working in a Sandy environment that you yeah. can do in preparation of talking to somebody who works, lives and breathes that space, but you can learn a lot just from reading guidances and reading things online, right? Yeah. And now there's tons of SAMD companies. I mean, if you can talk to somebody in the field, just to kind of pick their brain and understand, hey, what's the latest trends? What are some of the things that you're seeing? Um, that would be a huge um, benefit to you, especially as a candidate interviewing for right. SAMD position. So it begs the question, do you feel like companies are overlooking talent that otherwise could be successful, but don't necessarily have the Sandy experience yet, and therefore they're not even talking to them? I think yes and no. Um, I think for certain positions, certain roles within an SAMD organization, like your engineers, um, your product managers, you know, you have the UI, UX product manager, manager or engineer, um, those technical areas, obviously you have to have some sort of software as a medical device experience or coding experience, um, some sort of background that can support that specific position. When yeah. it comes to regulatory, when it comes to quality specifically, I feel like you know organizations need to take a chance on these people who are dedicated to wanting to get into that space so long as they can demonstrate that as part of the interview process. I think with Viz, they, they really um, you know, took notice to the fact that, hey, I was dedicated, one, two, I had the drive to want to work in a startup. I wasn't afraid of wearing many hats and taking leaps of faith where I might fail and make that mistake. Um, but I think, you know, personality and, and kind of how you work as a as an employee, if you can show that in the interview, more organizations should pay attention to that. They may or may not. But, um, you know, in my personal experience as a hiring manager, I won't just knock someone just because they don't have software experience. If they can demonstrate that they can do the job, I'll definitely consider them on to the next step. You know, and you just made good Good point. You as a hiring manager, you've obviously been promoted from being a specialist to being the director of quality. What learning curve over the last few years have you gone through as it relates to the difference, you know, working in SAMD versus a traditional medical device company? Yeah, yeah, great question. So um, one of the things that's early on, um, I don't know if I told you this, Mitch, before the show, but early on, I had a week or two in San Francisco at headquarters at Biz, but they flew me out to Tel Aviv. And uh, I was there for almost a month with my hiring, with, with the person who hired me, learning about all the engineering principles, what software we're using, ETC. And that was a great experience. Um, and where I'm trying to go is um, with, with, uh, with software as a medical device, it's a whole different world. Uh, yes, it does follow the same principles. Yes, it's under the same regulation. But um, one of the things that I had to switch off in my brain was, hey, this is SAMD. This is not traditional manu- you know, medical device. Uh, and what does that mean? You're not going to see the supplier organization have materials coming through that need to be sterilized or materials with certain specs. Um, you're, you're, you're not going to have you know, your typical, hey, this is where everybody's sitting. I mean, there was 19 people when I joined Viz across different time zones. I think I work across, you know, four or five different time zones and, um, you know, adapting to not only understanding that people work at different times, but also it's not the same as a medical manufacturer where you're in a seat, which, you know, might play to the whole remote work thing versus not remote work thing. Um, And then additionally, you know, the regulations are tailored and they're tailored specifically to that traditional medical device. 
the regulations didn't take into consideration a lot of the softwares and medical device requirements, and hence the standards and guidances that are out there today. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of interpreting what's currently there that exists within the regulations and what it needs to be for a software as a medical device, that was the biggest challenge, especially when I was tasked with building the quality system, of course, with help uh, amongst the, the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want to get to that as far as the differences with the quality system. But you mentioned, hey, one of the, you know, I'm never going to rule somebody out just because they don't have software. That's not the reason they're not going to at least get through my screen to my screening process. Hey, yeah. Talk about experience that you've had, you know, hiring folks. Did they face similar learning curves to you? What has been some of the other challenges? Maybe you hadn't even, um, you know, uh, forecasted, right, that they were going to run into? What's some of the experience you've had hiring people from outside of Sandy? Yeah, so believe it or not, Mitch, none of the people that I've hired have had software as a medical device experience. I can believe it. Yes, I can believe so, it. So um, realistically, you know, going through the interview process, I asked the question that you kind of asked me, what do you expect to see that's different in a software as a medical device role versus a traditional medical device manufacturer role? And, you know, I'll get varying things like, oh, you know, there's nothing tangible, um, everything's in the cloud, you know, stuff like that. Um, But when it comes down to, you know, the traditional things that you would expect, like, hey, what does a recall look like? Tell me what a recall looks like. Mm -hmm. And and I'll ask that question, too. Um, You get varying answers, but, you know, I'll ask about suppliers, I'll ask about recalls. And one of the things that I mentioned, especially towards the later stages, when people are getting very serious about, hey, you know, Viz is a great place to be and I want to be there um, in the in the hiring process, is I'll say, if you come on board, just promise me that you'll be patient. Because I think a lot of the times people get overwhelmed when they start a new job, just in general, right? especially when, um, you know, it's, it's different space and whatnot. But especially as software as a medical device, be patient because we will coach you up and we'll make sure that you have the tools that you need to succeed. And that's something that I try and emphasize as I'm, you know, getting to the final stages of the hiring process, because it's my role as a manager to make sure that you have the tools that you need to be successful, whether that's coaching you up on the product, on the technology, the interactions between some of our workflow or the software development lifecycle. Um, that's, that's my role. So in, in, in all honesty, I think that um, most of the people come with the same questions, you know, what does it look like from a supplier perspective, from a contracting perspective? Uh, you're dealing with software as a service. You're not, you know, you don't have a procurement team or, you know, somebody who is is actively, you know, billing out per device. There's no units. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, once you have the device, everybody has the device when it's software as a service. So um, it's, it's, it's somewhat different for sure. Is there one thing you can point to um, that you always look for when you're hiring somebody? <sighs> hmm. That's a tough question. I think being in a startup, one of the things that I try to look for, I wouldn't say always, is the willingness to wear multiple hats. Uh, we're a small group. There's six people on my team. Um, you know, I have people doing various things like the Kappa managers also helping with suppliers. Um, the quality plan person, the you know, quality specialists working on quality plans and, and driving improvement processes is also working on quality system validation. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have, um, if you can demonstrate that, you know, not only are you a one, not only are you willing to do something kind of outside of your scope, but that you've demonstrated that you've done that, that's something that really resonates with me as a hiring manager. Say that piece one more time. If you can demonstrate. Yeah. 
So if you can demonstrate your willingness to kind of work. Okay. Ask me the question again, Mitch. Yeah, so, so what you were saying is I said, so is there, is there one thing that you consistently look for when deciding whether or not to hire somebody like, okay, you know, they answer this stuff, that, but do they have this trait or do they have this characteristic? And you said the willingness to wear multiple hats in a startup is obviously critical just because that's the nature of the beast. But then you said, if you can demonstrate to me that you've done that or that okay. you, you, you are capable of doing that, then that resonates with me. Based on examples of where they've done that is what you're saying. Yeah. Like, for example, you know, as a regulatory analyst that applied, I was, you know, working on, um, you know, post market, but I moved into international regulatory where I learned multiple skills, you know, how to interact with, with suppliers, how to, con- you know, basically compile draft submissions, uh, CFGs, ETC. And if you can demonstrate that there's many areas within the global, you know, umbrella of RA or quality, mm-hmm. then that really resonates with me in that, hey, you know, I could see this person being on our team because all of the people on my team have that ability to work in more than just one role. Makes sense. So talk about um, building a quality management system in a Sandy <laughs> environment. I guarantee you there's got to be a variety of things that you've noticed that are different between, you know, what you a traditional medical device. What have you noticed? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, one of the one of the fun questions that I have is, what does receiving inspection look like from a mm. consultant we were working with? And I said, that's an amazing question. One of the first things that I was looking at is, you know, do we really need to have a receiving inspection area for software as a medical device? Um, but but realistically, building the quality system was was a challenge. Um, definitely trial and error. Lots of iterations. Um, thank goodness for doc control and having revisions, uh, because what we thought was perfect, um, originally was definitely not perfect when we tried to put it into practice. So I think, um, as the company grew, the needs of the processes and, and the different key stakeholders within the organization grew. So building from scratch a quality management system, I think obviously takes a lot of time, but, um, the difficulty with software was that when you were when you thought you were going in the correct direction, meaning, hey, yeah, I have everything you know dialed in, there's 50,000 more questions that come from the rest of the team saying, hey, how are we going to do this? Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I think, um, and I'm not, not to downplay traditional medical devices, but because the, the, medical, the physical medical device um, industry has been around for such a long time, things are pretty standard from company to company. And there are even times, Mitch, where we hired on consultants that wouldn't even make that switch between physical medical device and software as a medical device. So mm-hmm. that, was, that was the greatest challenge is just trying to figure out what were those things that everybody needed. And, you know, there's not anything that I can pinpoint in terms of one thing difference from, you know, medical device, physical medical device to software. Um, but realistically, I think trial and error is all that I can say was our, our initial QMS. You know, it's funny. I think historically the industry has been slow to adopt change, right? I just think uh, in general. And now with the advancements of technology as rapidly as they're happening, I almost feel like they're, as an industry, it's forced, being forced to change faster than it's normally used to. Uh, I, was, I was interviewing somebody um, on the idea of building, of talent branding. And uh, he was just talking about the life sciences in general. How, mm-hmm. you know, compared to like tech, for example, just the differences as far as adopting change. And for those that continue to adopt change, we're going to be wildly successful. And those that continue to resist change are going to have uh, 
harder times, right? You see this yeah. with uh, all the MDR stuff, companies that are have been waiting and waiting and waiting instead of being proactive. Same thing, right? Yep. Yeah. So listen, man, you're the epitome of, of being successful in, and getting into an organization and into a role without the experience, but having a candidate value proposition to demonstrate and articulate why you could add value and be successful. And I give you major kudos for that. Uh, congrats on all the forward progression you're making um, for yourself Thank and you. with viz.ai. And I hope those listening today uh, see you and, and use you as an inspiration that it, it really can be done. And don't take it for face value what the job description says, but think about what am I going to do to be proactive yep. and say, you know what? job description says that, but I'm going to demonstrate why I can actually do this and how I can help a company move uh, their objectives forward. So thank you for sharing your story and, and for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. We'll, uh, we'll add, we'll add um, uh, a link to your LinkedIn profile and then a link to biz.ai in the show notes. But again, really appreciate you being here. Yeah, no problem. And if anybody has any questions, feel free to reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to try and answer them. Thanks for listening to the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. For more content-rich episodes, log on to theanthonymichaelgroup.com or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.